0: Would you turn with me, please, to Mark chapter 4? We've made it to chapter 4, and we're going to cover those first 20 verses, basically almost half the chapter this morning. Before I read our scripture, I would like to pray, and I'd like to invite you to pray something like this. Lord, show me what you want me to do, and if you mean this, and I'll do it. That you're eager to know what God wants you to do in light of this passage that we're about to read and study together. So I invite you to pray while I pray. Father, we are grateful for this time that we can come to your word and hear from you, knowing that these are your words, that you have something for us. So Lord, I ask that you would give every one of us ears to hear your message this morning and that you would by your Holy Spirit, prepare our hearts to hear and receive and act on your word. Father, I ask for your help and strength and mental clarity and vocal clarity this morning to be able to teach your word, that we would understand it and that we would obey it. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand, please? I'm going to read these 20 verses. This is Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. And again, Jesus began to teach by the sea. And a great multitude was gathered to him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Then he taught them many things by parables, and said to them in his teaching, Listen. Behold, a sower went out to sow. And it happened, as he sowed, that some seed fell by the wayside. And the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth. And immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up increased and produced some thirtyfold some sixty and some a hundred and he said to them he who has ears to hear let him hear but when he was alone those around him with the 12 asked about the parable and he said to them to you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of god but to those who are outside all things come in parables so that seeing They may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. And when they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful but these are the ones sown on good ground those who hear the word accept it and bear fruit some 30 fold some 60 and some a 100 may the Lord bless his word to our hearts this morning you may be seated when I come to a passage like this I'm nervous about it. That may seem silly to you, but I am for a few different reasons. One, this is so familiar to you. Some of you have taught this publicly before. Some of you have studied it on your own. So there's a sense in which I don't know that I have a lot of new information I can add to you, to what you know. But it's here, and it's what God put next in the book of Mark and this is what we're going to do this morning. So I, I don't know that you're going to learn anything new. You may not, and that's okay. Because this isn't just uh, an exercise for knowledge, is it? <laughs> that's to miss the whole point of this story. What we're supposed to know is the word of God is supposed to have an effect on us. If you have a heading in your Bible, it may say the parable of the sower, because that's usually what this is called. It would probably be more accurate to call it the parable of the soils, because the focus seems to be more on the response to the seed. Jesus isn't t- teaching them about farming here, he's teaching them about the heart response that people have to the Word of God. So you could also, I guess, call it the parable of the hearts. So I ask you, how is your heart this morning? What is your heart like? What your heart, and I'm not talking about what's pumping inside your chest, but what makes you you, your innermost being, what is that like this morning? Because that's going to determine what you hear. Anytime you come to the word of Christ, anytime you come to the word of God, the condition of the soil of your heart is going to dictate your response to it. Determine how you will respond. So that is the main point for today. Simple as it is, different people respond differently to the word of God. We're going to talk a little bit about the how and the why, but that's the fact. Different people respond differently to the word of God. Go back with me to verse 1, where it says, And again he, Jesus, began to teach by the sea. And a great multitude was gathered to him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. What we have here is a natural amphitheater. It seems that above the lake, uh, an area rises up so they can see him and hear him well because of the acoustics of the boat. Part of this is not new information to us. This isn't the first multitude we've seen. Certainly we've seen it multiple times in the chapters preceding this. So another multitude gathers together. He teaches them. He's even taught them at least once already by the lake. So that's not new. What's a little new, what I think is new here, is that this is the first time he's gotten in a boat. And a little bit from the shore, he is sitting in the boat. Why is he sitting in the boat? Well, practically it could be that he needed to sit in order not to fall over, but probably what it's saying is that as a rabbi, as a teacher, that was the position that he normally got into. We are in Western society in the 21st century, so you all are sitting and I'm standing. But at that time, The teacher would be sitting and everybody else would be standing. Then he taught them, verse 2 tells us. What did he teach them? Many things. Mark's suggesting here maybe that there's a lot more than what we have recorded for us. But he taught many things and how did he teach them? He taught them in parables. And said to them in his teaching, and we'll get to that in a minute, he taught them many things. It's a group of Parables, and you say, I saw only one. That's because we're stopping at verse 20 instead of going on. But there are several parables that conclude the chapter, and if you look at the parallels in Matthew and Luke, you'll see there were other parables he was teaching. And this is one of two longer teaching passages in Mark. I've told you, Mark is focused on the action. He's telling what Jesus did, he's talking about the miracles, and yes, he taught, and he doesn't usually give us much information about what Jesus said. Here he did. This was an important one, and this is the first parable that Mark presents. So it would be good for us to know, what's a parable? Well, the word parable comes from a Greek word that means to lay alongside, to parallel. So if you needed a one-word English synonym, it would be comparison. It's a comparison. And there are times that it's just one statement, like last week, or maybe the week before, we saw the word parable, and it's just a proverb, it's a brief statement. These are more like stories, brief stories, to give a comparison. And sometimes, as in this case, Jesus gave a detailed explanation, told us the interpretation of the parable. Other times he didn't. And one of the main purposes, perhaps the main purpose of using this form of teaching is to make the people reading or listening, make them think. To make them stop and consider. Let's see what the parable says. This is verses three through eight. Listen. Behold, a sower went out to sow and it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched and because it had no root, it withered away and some seed fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground and it yielded a crop that sprang up, increased and produced some 30 fold, some 60, and some 100. How does Jesus begin this parable? One word starts with an L. Do you see it there? Listen. Listen up, guys. To make it more modern and vernacular for us, listen up and put your thinking caps on. I want you to get this. And then he says, Behold, look, pay attention. This is good. This is important. I want you to get this. That's what he's saying to them before he ever says a word about the story. And he says something that would have been very familiar to them. A sower went out to sow. One of my study Bibles had a good description of this. Seed was sown by hand, and as the farmer walked across the field, he threw handfuls of seed onto the ground from a large bag slung across his shoulders. The plants didn't grow in neat little rows like we think of now, because he wasn't using machinery to do it. No matter how skillful, no farmer could keep some of his seed from falling by the side of the road, or from being scattered among rocks and thorns, or from being carried off by the wind or birds. So the farmer would throw the seed liberally. He would throw lots of it. And enough of it would fall on good ground to ensure the harvest. This is different from our concept. We think in order to get a garden ready, you're gonna till the soil. That's the first thing you're gonna do is break up the soil. That's not what they did in this case. They scattered the seed, and then they would plow it with a wooden plow to break it up. And as we read this, we might think, boy, that sower was dumb. He he, he didn't pay attention to where the rocks might be or the or the the thorns. Well, we'll get to that, but it's not that. It was common to throw the seed first and then plow it up, so you didn't necessarily know where the rocks were or where the thorns had been. What about the wayside? Well, we've talked recently. Remember the disciples and Jesus were walking through the grain fields on the Sabbath day. We saw that a couple chapters ago. So there would be paths or even a road next to the field, and it was trodden, trampled. Some of you kids, if you've been to a playground where there were swings, is there usually grass going, growing under those swings very well? One person said no. Okay, uh, there's another one. All right, why not? Why isn't there grass growing under the swings very well? Maybe it's that we don't have playgrounds that have grass. Is that my problem with my illustration? Mm. Okay. If you've been on a playground that had grass instead of mulch, all of the feet going over it, where I grew up, South Carolina, it was clay. So it just grounded away. There's no way you're going to get anything to grow there. Same thing if you've been on a path, a bike path, something that everybody's walked there, everybody's ridden there, nothing's going to grow there. That's the picture. So the birds would come and devour it. I read that an experienced sower would expect a third or even up to a half of his crop to be eaten by birds, his, uh, his seeds that he was throwing. So the only option was to throw a bunch of it. Maybe you've tried to grow grass, and you may have actually done this as far as spread the seed by hand. So you had to put down a lot in the hopes that some of it would not be blown away, carried away by the birds. The stony ground. Well, much of The land of Israel has bedrock. It has limestone just under the surface. And you don't necessarily know it's there until you try to plant something. And it's going to look like everything's going well and then the rock is too deep for the plow to reach and the dirt is too shallow for the plant to grow well. There were other places where there were thorns and probably the thorn bushes had been burnt away before the sower went out to sow. Otherwise, he would know. He wouldn't cast seed into the briar patch. So it had been burnt away, but the roots were still there. So as soon as some water nourished the roots of those thorn bushes, they came up right along with the grain that he was trying to get to grow. And what was the outcome of the thorny in particular? There was no fruit. Nothing was able to grow there. But there was good ground, we know, and there we had a 30, 60, or 100-fold return. And some of you are like me, and you don't know, what is that good? That sounds good. I think it's good. 100 has to be better than 30. Well, normal would have been about eight. An eight-fold return would have been good. Ten-fold would have been really good. This was a good year. I got a ten-fold return. So Jesus is starting at 30, and going up to 60 and 100, you say, is that even possible? Well, yes, it is. Read your Old Testament, Genesis. Isaac once had a 100-fold return. But it was rare, very rare. And in our terminology, this would be a 10,000%. Did I say that right? Return. It is this good? Some of it was very fruitful. But all of what went into the good ground bore fruit. We're going to come back to all of this. It's nice that we have parable and then later the interpretation and we have a chance to look at this in various ways and we will verse nine jesus said to them he who has ears to hear let him hear so he in a way ends the parable the same way he began the parable listen is what he said at the beginning he who has ears to hear let him hear is how he ends it well what's the point i think he wants us to hear i think he wanted them to pay attention I know, especially those of you who are here every week, you hear the sermon, you probably don't remember most of them. There's one thing in particular that stands out for the years that I was in Georgia serving at a church plant there, and that pastor taught us, Old Testament, New Testament, when you read the word here in the Bible, it usually means two things. It means here with attention and intention. So to say that differently, if you don't get anything else I say today, just get this, okay? Here equals attention and intention. Well, what do I mean by that? It, I mean that we are supposed to be focused in order to obey. Jesus is placing the responsibility not on himself, but on the listeners. You realize that? If I don't say anything new that you didn't, that you didn't know, that's okay. Because the responsibility is on the listeners. That's what Jesus is showing here. What do we mean by listening with intention? Well, imagine that you are camping in the woods at night, and all of a sudden, you hear a sound, a twig snap, something. All of a sudden, you're going to give that your attention. For us adults, you're lying in bed at night, and your wife hears a sound, and she slugs you or nudges you or kicks you or something, and, did you hear that? No, I was asleep. But then it happens again. There's a drip in the wall, done that. There is something wrong. The smoke alarm is beeping. Okay, now you are wide awake, and you are listening intently. You're giving it your full attention. Well, what about listening with intention? Maybe a a doctor with a stethoscope listening to a heart murmur, or an irregular heartbeat. Maybe, I, I know we have several guys in our congregation who are into motorcycles and other engines. So you can listen to that and you can determine that's misfiring or that just doesn't sound right and and you're listening because you can fix it. You're going to make an adjustment. Well, that's this. We are listening not just for information. I, I hope you do learn when we come together and study the Bible together. But if we just all fill our brains full of facts, let's go home. There's no point. For us to be smarter Christians is not the purpose of our time together in the Word each week. For us to be changed into Jesus-likeness is our purpose to be in the Word on your own during the week, for us to be gathered in Bible study during this time each Sunday morning. Verses 10 to 20, the rest of what we're covering today, this probably occurred later. It didn't happen back to back in that way. If you read Matthew, it seems like he went through several other parables before they had a chance to ask him about the meaning. But Mark plants it here. Why? To emphasize it. He is putting it here so that our attention is drawn to what Jesus said about why parables, who they're for, who they're not for. Let's look at it. Verse 10. But when he was alone, and that doesn't mean literally alone. This isn't one of the times he went off to pray by himself. But when he was in a smaller group, not with the multitude, but with his 12 and some other people, it looks like, are there. It says, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parable. And he said to them, to you, plural, you, disciples and those with the 12, it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside all things come in parables, so that seeing they may see and per- not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. He's quoting there Isaiah 6, 9, and 10. What's he saying? He's saying it's a, some of your translations will have secret, a mystery. What does that mean? It doesn't mean nobody can discern this. What it means is this is something that wasn't known in the past and now it's known. He's sharing with them the kingdom. He's already said, the kingdom is at hand, the kingdom is near, I am here. That was what he preached right at the beginning in, in Mark 1. And so the purpose of these parables is to reveal truth, but not to those who are outside. Charles Robbie put it this way, parables test the spiritual responsiveness of those who hear them parables test the listener and sort of sift things out, sort things out, because it's going to reveal the truth to those who are inside and hide the truth to those who are outside. Well, what does that mean? Those who are outside here are not followers of Christ. They're not believers in Jesus as the Messiah, as the Savior. And then it's a surprising statement This is one of those statements by Jesus that people say the hard sayings of Christ. What does he say? Lest they should turn. It's hidden from them, lest they should turn. Well, that's not very nice. What does he mean? He doesn't want them to be saved? If we compare that with other scripture, for example, 1 Peter tells us that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. All should turn. All should be saved. That is what he desires. So that's not what it's saying. What is it saying then? It's saying that unbelievers don't want to turn. That if they were willing to repent, they could. The Holy Spirit would help them do that and they would turn and they would also understand according to this. Someone said that if we repeatedly hear God's word and refuse to respond time and time again, there will come a time when we become so hardened that we not only will not, but cannot respond. That's what we were talking about last week with rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Verse 13, Jesus continues. He said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Or how how are you going to understand the rest of them if you don't understand this one? This one's basic. This, This is where it starts, guys what he may be hinting at is that even the disciples may suffer from hard hearts and not get it. Many people believe that what he means here is that this parable is key to understanding the rest of the parables. So we're moving now, as we get to verse 14, we're moving from the statement of the parable and Jesus' explanation about parables to the actual meaning of this particular parable. So here we go, verse 14. The sower sows, what does it say? The word. If you mark in your Bible, you may want to underline the entire verse or circle the word word because this is the key to this parable that some people believe is the key parable to unlock the other parables. The sower sows the word because what did it say previously? What is, you probably have it italicized in your translation. The sower sows the seed. That's what we read earlier, isn't it? So he's he's explaining it by starting out the sower sows not seed. We're not talking about plants here. He sows the word. Unless there be any misunderstanding, Luke eight eleven says this is the word of God. Matthew thirteen nineteen says it is the word of the kingdom. What are we talking about here? The gospel. The gospel, the word of God is what is being sown. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. The word of God is truth. Guess what? The word of God is also living. Hebrews four twelve. The word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And this one is especially appropriate. Remember, who probably influenced Mark as he was writing his gospel? Peter. In Peter's first epistle, 1 Peter 1, says, Having been born again, how? Not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible. The word of God is incorruptible seed. I've heard that those who have excavated the pyramids of Egypt, that they would find, I would call them jars, but some sort of container containing grain. And that grain that is thousands of years old, if it is planted and watered, and has the nutrients to grow, it'll germinate and grow. That's the word of God. It is timeless. In all times and places, it is alive and powerful, and if it gets into the soil, it will grow. Are we going to allow it into the soil of our hearts? Verse 15, And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear... Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. Jesus, when he refers to Satan, he just always assumes Satan exists. He is not set out, I'm going to prove to you that Satan is real. He knows that Satan is real. Satan is a created being, created to be a holy angel and rebelled against God. And is now dead set on destroying us. He is an accuser, he is a destroyer, he is a liar. And he does not want the Word of God to accomplish what God wants it to accomplish. And so he attempts to come in before it can take root, before that seed can get down into the soil and germinate, he wants to snatch it away. Just as the birds did. Elsewhere the Gospels tell us that God cares for the sparrows, the little birds. Well, one way he did that is that they did their broadcast spreading of seed and the birds would come and get it. And so this was all normal stuff to them. It was the agricultural society they lived in. And he says, just like those birds come and they get the seed before it can go down into the dirt, before we can even get the field plowed, Satan comes and he wants to snatch away, he wants to steal the word before it can take effect. I'm going to call this the hard heart. This is the the wayside and it represents the hard heart verse 16 these likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who when they here it is again hear the word immediately receive it with gladness and they have no root in themselves and so endure only for a time afterward when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake immediately they stumble First off, they receive it with gladness. This is great. This is the best thing ever. And it seems like there's an emotional response. Yes, I think that's wonderful. But it says here they have no root. So whatever change takes place, whatever growth seems to take place, is temporary. It's on the surface. Tribulation or persecution isn't just the sufferings because we live in a fallen world, it seems to be specific to you're being made fun of, you're being persecuted for the word of God. And what happens when that happens? They stumble. They fall away. That word comes from a word that means to be trapped or to be ensnared. The trap springs And they're done. And we're going to call that a shallow heart. Verse 18. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They're the ones who hear the word. And the cares of this world. That's one. The deceitfulness of riches. That's two. And the desires for other things. Entering in choke the word. And it becomes unfruitful. They're sown among among thorns. This seed the word is sown among thorns. David Guzik said we might call this ground too fertile because it'll grow anything. Those roots of the thorns are already there and this seed comes in and it seems like it's all going to go great until the weeds, and if you do flower gardening, vegetable gardening, how many of you, your weeds grow slowly and your crop or your flowers grow fast? Anybody ever experienced that? That's not the way it works, is it? Those weeds and thorns come up and they choke out. They use up all the nutrients in the soil. They cover over and prevent the daylight from getting where it needs to be. They soak up the rain and they choke out what's supposed to be growing there. What are these three things? The cares of the world, literally the distractions of the age. This is being preoccupied with the world around us. James 4.4 4 says, whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world. You want to chase the world? Guess what? You're the enemy of God. A friend of the world means you're the enemy of God. You make yourself to be an enemy of God. 1 John 2.15, do not love the world. Do not love the things that are in the world. Why? Because if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him if you're enamored with, preoccupied with, caught up with the world around you, the system of the world, that may be an indication you're not a believer. That's the first one, the cares of the world. The second one, the deceitfulness of riches. The deceitfulness of riches. 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10. Those who want to get rich, you know anybody who wants to get rich? has a get-rich-quick scheme every week, fall into temptation and a trap into which many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Here's the verse you probably know better. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. A plant analogy, very interesting. It's the root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. The riches are deceitful. Those new clothes, new shoes, new gaming system, new job, new car, new house. Whatever has your eye and has your heart right now is deceitful. Because as soon as you get it, Some of you kids can relate to this. That gift you asked for for Christmas or for your birthday and you got it and you loved playing with it for a day or two or three and now you don't even know where the parts are. Because it doesn't satisfy. But it sure does distract us. The deceitfulness of riches. And then, in case we haven't covered it in the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of this world, this broad category that catches the rest of it desires for other things. Anything other than the Word of God. It's a good thing. We're going to enjoy food together in a few minutes. But if my heart is wrapped up in food and I can't think about anything else, we have a problem. You'll probably know that I have that problem because it will show. Whatever is capturing your heart and your mind, what do you daydream about? Not that we shouldn't dream. Not that you have to think about the Bible every second of every day, but where does your mind go? Because that probably tells you where your heart is. And if it's far from God, if it's wrapped up in the things of this world, we have a problem because the seed isn't going to do what the seed is designed to do. And we're not going to grow and we're not going to produce fruit. This is the divided heart. And that phrase is very colorful. To choke the world, to strangle it, to smother it. All of those cares, all those things, good, bad, indifferent, there are just so many of them that it drowns out the word of God. And what's the result? It becomes unfruitful. What does that mean? It means that no seed is produced. Can't plant any more crops from this because you didn't get any fruit. From the beginning of creation, God said, Be fruitful and multiply. And that's the way he designed the plant kingdom. That's our illustration here. That's how he designed it to work. That there would be seed in the fruit, and you could plant the seed and get a new plant, a new tree, a new bush, a new vine, and get more fruit. That's the way he designed it to work a multiplication process. And that didn't happen here. The stranglehold of the world prevented the production of fruit. And guess what? There's not going to be more fruit. There's not going to be more generations of plants from that situation. Verse 20. But these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word, accept it and bear fruit. Some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. The good ground. What is this describing? Those who hear the word and practice it, they do it. That's what James said, James 1.22. Be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. We can deceive ourselves by just listening to, oh, that was a good sermon. Oh, that was a really good devotional I read the other day. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put that on social media. I'm going to share that with others. It didn't change your heart. It needs to change us. And that's the good soil. When we do the word of God, not just hear it. To hear the word, to accept it, and to bear fruit. These are participles. They continue. Over and over, continuing. That's what characterizes the good soil. To have a listening attitude. It welcomes the word into it and then responds the right way to it. Do you remember a while ago we all read John chapter 15 together and we read about producing fruit and more fruit and much fruit? That parallels what Jesus is saying here. 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Not everyone is going to produce the same amount of fruit. We learn from other places, even in Jesus' own words, that we have different gifts, we have different callings, we have different experiences, we have different backgrounds and, and places that we live. Not everyone's going to produce the same amount of fruit, but anyone who is a disciple of Jesus, anyone who is a believer in Jesus, anyone who is allowing the word of God to take effect in him or her, is going to produce fruit. Are you producing fruit? Because I'll put it this way, if you're not producing fruit, then you aren't allowing the Word of God to do what the Word of God can do. You're not obeying it. You're not allowing it to change you. You say, Bob, we got to verse 20. Let's pack up. I want to spend a few minutes, and I will try to make it just a few minutes, but I want to apply this two different ways because if you've grown up in the church or you've studied this on your own, read commentaries, the, the main application that I normally see and have studied back when we did the book of Matthew is that this is an evangelistic passage that we're talking about the soil of the heart of a person who has not yet come to Christ. And that's totally valid. I think it's accurate. I also think it's incomplete. So we're going to deal with this first with the unsaved person and then second with The believer. So you bear with me while we apply this. What is the main point of the day? Different people respond differently to the word of God. But I would follow up with that and say, people who respond to the word of God respond differently in different areas of their lives. And people who respond to the word of God respond differently in different seasons of their lives. There's an ebb and flow to the Christian life, and there's sometimes where I'm pursuing God and he's speaking to me in his word and I'm obeying and I am following the promptings of the Holy Spirit and I am growing and I'm seeing fruit in my life and there are other times I'm not. So this first application, if we take this at face value that he's teaching the gospel, that's what the spreading of the word is. It's the proclamation of the gospel. It's going to get various responses. So here's the hard-hearted response. This person just doesn't get it, can't get it, this is that person at work and you just keep sharing the gospel however and wherever you can get it in and it makes no sense. This person has no interest whatsoever. Well, there's a reason for that. Before we're in Christ, we're spiritually dead. That person doesn't have ears to hear yet. But that's the hard heart. The person who doesn't get it, it's because of 1 Corinthians 2, 14. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him. He can't know them because they're spiritually discerned. The Holy Spirit has to soften up that heart, plow that soil. The hard-hearted person can't get it yet. The shallow-hearted person, this is that enthusiastic response. The person who is really emotionally into this, oh, this is the greatest thing ever, maybe shares a testimony, goes around witnessing for a few weeks, and it doesn't seem, I don't know that person's heart, somebody who just came to your mind maybe, I don't know, that person may not have made a genuine decision, may have not repented and come to Jesus. That foxhole conversion may not have been real. What about the third one, the divided heart? This present life is All consuming, all important. I don't have time to think about anything spiritual. I don't have interest to think about anything spiritual. I need to check the stock market. I need to check the sports scores. I need to take care of my job because I have to get this promotion. I have to get this promotion so that I can afford the house that we just bought because I'm really overextended. But I need to do this and I need to do this and I need to do this. And it's just too much. And that person doesn't have any quiet moments to think about the tract that somebody gave him or her or the conversation in the grocery store because there is no mental space and there is no chronological space, no time to stop and think because I'm so caught up in this world. That's the divided heart. But then there's the fruitful heart, the one that receives the word of God and it produces fruit. That's the person who comes to Christ. The Holy Spirit is at work and that person chooses. I believe that God has provided a way to deal with my sin and he's done that through Jesus and that person believes in Jesus alone for salvation and he is saved. He is a child of God. That is the open heart. That is the fruitful heart. All of that was to talk about unbelievers, those who respond the first time or second time, or a later time that they hear the gospel, the word shared with them. One of my commentators wrote, when you read this parable, don't think you're automatically always the one who has the good soil and abundant faith, the abundant fruit. Don't, don't assume I'm saved. I've got this. I don't actually really need this first parable anymore because I'm saved. I don't think so. I realize This is a less popular application or interpretation, but I think he's teaching it to his disciples, right? And those who are gathered with his disciples, and they aren't getting it. And later, three different times in the gospel of Mark, we read about his disciples who are hard-hearted. I don't think only unsaved people can have hard hearts. I think there are times that I'm hard-hearted, and there are probably times that you're hard-hearted. So let's talk about that first one. What makes our hearts hard? Sin. If I am sinning and I am not confessing and forsaking that sin, I don't have any interest in the word of God and it's not going to have an effect. I'm not going to grow. I'm not going to change. Sin hardens my heart to the gospel. Because what is it really to hear the word of God is to do the will of God. To hear it and to do it. That's true hearing. And if I'm not willing to do it, if I'm not obeying it, if I'm sinning against God instead, stunting my growth, there's not going to be any. What about the shallow heart? That enthusiastic, that emotional response. Well, we've seen that too. And I, I, I don't mean to denigrate but I know growing up I went to this trip with my church or went to a camp and made a decision and praise God for camp decisions but there are times when it becomes emotional that all of a sudden the peer pressure works in the positive direction right and I made this decision because my friend did or I went forward or I got saved because everybody I already knew in my cabin was praying for me and it wasn't real It was emotional, and, and time will tell whether there is fruit. What about the divided heart? Jesus' own words in Matthew six twenty four: No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. We can't serve the world. We can't serve material things and serve God. They're mutually exclusive. That's what Jesus said. That's not my words. It doesn't work that way. Are you pursuing money or work or entertainment or sports or grades or popularity or success? What about clothes, shoes, a car, a house, the furnishings for that house? Any of or all of those things, not necessarily bad in and of themselves, they can divide our heart and our pursuit of them. Oh, I have to get my kid into the right college. Oh, I have to We have all of our rationalizations, we have all of our justifications for the decisions we make with our time and our money, but we can so easily be caught up and ensnared with the world. And our love of the world makes us the enemy of God. And our love of the world says that my heart has too many weeds in it right now to respond to the word of God. And then there's the fruitful heart. This heart Allows God's word to take deep root. There are two types of harvest that this could describe. The first one is probably the one that popped into your mind Galatians 5 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. Who grows that in us? The Holy Spirit. When or how does He do that? when we are obeying the word and hearing it with our intention to obey. The other would be good works. In addition to the fruit of the spirit that we just read about, the good works that God produces in us by his grace. Main point, different people respond differently to the word of God. And you may respond differently today than you did yesterday or last week. And you may respond differently next week. Here's what I'm basing these two applications on. Here's the ground. I said we have the hard, the stony, the thorny, the good. What heart does it describe? We have the hard heart, because I don't know a better way to describe the hard ground. Is there growth in that situation? No. Is there fruit in that situation? No. In the stony ground, the shallow heart, is there growth? I think there is. It's at least the appearance of growth. Is there fruit? No. That thorny, that divided heart, is there growth there? Yeah. There's a plant growing. It gets choked out by the weeds and the thorns. So is there fruit? Jesus specifically told us that there would not be fruit in that situation. But in the good soil, in the fruitful heart, in the obedient heart, that might be the better way to say it. Is there growth? Is there growth? Thank you. Yes, there is. And is there fruit? Yes, there is. Where do you fall right now? If you were to say, I, I'm, I'm in that column, I'm, I'm in that row. Are you growing? Is there fruit in your life? I'm not saying go brag and tell everybody about all your fruit, but that, that you know, you can tell, that you've been able to disciple others, or that others ha- have said, I can see the growth. I can see the good works in your life. I can see what God is doing in you, in the peace, in this, this circumstance. I can't explain it. You can't explain it. This is what God is doing, growing that fruit in your life right now. If you're here in the room, if you're watching or listening online, perhaps you aren't saved. There may be somebody. I'm not aware of anybody. But someone who's never responded to the gospel, the Holy Spirit will draw you. The Holy Spirit will open your eyes and your ears and soften your heart. And he'll give you life. And over time, he's going to grow and give fruit. How does that begin? By believing in Jesus, by calling out to him and asking him to forgive you of your sins, believing on him for salvation. Believers, how's your heart? How's your heart this morning? Is it soft to the things of God? Is it pliable and moldable as the Holy Spirit leads and guides you? How are your ears? Do you have ears to hear? Are you eager to hear and read God's word? And then do you long for it to change you Do you long to obey what you read, what you hear? Or is it just the same old, same old, yeah, it was another sermon, yeah, it was one of those parables. I've heard it all before. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? My request of you is simply to do whatever the Holy Spirit's leading you to do. not about me it's not about the sower it's about the word and if the Holy Spirit is using the word of God this morning to tell you you need to do this or you need to stop doing that would you please obey Father I pray that you would work in hearts if there is anyone here who does not know you as Savior child adult would you please save? Because that's what you do. You are a Savior who saves, who delivers from sin and judgment and gives eternal life. Lord, there may be a Christian here today who has recognized that there are some problems in the heart right now. There are some problems in the soil that the seed is not growing and producing fruit. Lord, we know that general guilt and shame is not from you. There's no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus. But Lord, if you are specifically leading someone to make a decision this morning, would you give that one the courage to obey? May we be doers of your word and not hearers only. In Jesus' name, amen.